I was thinking earlier, geospatial is a great career for anybody who doesn't want to commit to any any domain because you will be in everything. <laughs> Welcome to the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Nadine Elame. She is the CEO of the Open Geospatial Consortium and today on the podcast we're going to be talking about open geospatial standards. Just before we get started today, I have a quick favor to ask of you. If you haven't already, please take the time to share this podcast with someone. So not everyone, someone. Someone you think might enjoy it, somebody you think might benefit from it. I would really, really appreciate that. I'll be back towards the end of this episode just with a few points that I would really like to highlight for you. Hi Nadine, welcome to the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about geospatial standards. But I think before we do that, could you just... Give the listeners an understanding of how you got involved in, in geospatial and perhaps what your role is today. Thank you, Daniel. I'm happy to be here. Good question. I think I'm um, someone who's fascinated by innovation and its path to operations. I find myself today as the CEO of the Open Geospatial Consortium, but my background is really computer engineering, software development, and I got into geospatial totally by luck, I think. I was selected for a scholarship to study this thing called GIS at MIT. So I understood the MIT part. I had no clue what GIS meant, but who says no to MIT? And since then, to be honest with you, it feels like I have spent my career actually trying to get out of geospatial only to every time feel like I'm getting pulled back deeper and deeper and deeper to the point that I'm now running the Open Geospatial Consortium, a global consortium of like 500 plus members. And I know people say geospatial is everywhere. I, I feel like I've lived it <laughs> everywhere I went from NASA to, uh, you know, starting a startup in aviation to uh, a large business like Northrop Grumman. I can tell you, Daniel, as soon as people know that you have geospatial as part of your portfolio, you become like the connector for people or divisions or projects. And that's how I got into geospatial. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think it's interesting that you said that you spent a lot of your career trying to get away from it, but because it's everywhere, I mean, where do you run, right? Exactly. I mentioned earlier that we're going to be talking about geospatial standards. And I, I guess my, my first question is, what are geospatial standards? Why, why do we need them? So I spent, I think, the last two years trying to answer that question, right? As the CEO of OGC, which is traditionally known as the authority for geospatial standards, this is, you know, this is a common question. So to get it out of the way, I think uh, geospatial standards are uh, like any standards, what we agree on as a community. It's a way to describe, you know, how do you uh, model geospatial data? How do you exchange it, subset it, process it, visualize it, reference it? So now, to me, why do you need a standard is uh, almost like a no-brainer. And I think I've been trying to tell people that the question that we should be asking is, do we need to share data? Do we need to solve complex problems where nobody has all the data? That's why we need standards. And I know, I know standards, uh, how can I say this, don't sound, sound exciting to people or to organizations, but 
I challenge anybody to tell me how are we going to get the dream smart cities that we talk about? How do we connect those billions, and I mean billions of Internet of Things devices without standards? Or how do you do you know, the self-driving cars or the flying drones or the satellite imagery? That's why you need standards. Why you need geospatial standards is because eventually, like we just said, geospatial is everywhere, but really you know, location is what's connecting all these big concepts that used to be science fiction, but now to my kids, at least, they're reality. And that's, that's the short, short answer. We need standards because we need data and data integration, and we need to solve some serious problems here from pandemics to climate change to everything around us. Does that help? Yeah, I, I think that, that helps. It's interesting that you said that standards weren't that exciting, and I can see where you're coming from. I, I'm from New Zealand. I live in Denmark. I didn't think Danish was that exciting. Learning the language wasn't that exciting, but having that, that common way of communicating with the other people that live here, that is exciting. That, that's amazing because that opens up the doors to everything, and I think if we can start seeing standards as those common ways of communicating which open up the doors, which are in fact, the, the ultimate form for interoperability, I think anyway, and the possibilities that we have once we start moving data around in understood formats, I think that is really exciting. But I, I guess we, we have a lot of standards. So you know, why do we need more standards or haven't we made all of the standards already? First of all, I have to say that I love what you just said. It was music to my ears, and sometimes it honestly makes me happy when somebody can articulate my thoughts better than me, or not just my thoughts, you know, OGC's position. So thank you for what you said about standards and interoperability and that language example. So haven't we made all the standards already? I would say a big, big no. And hear me out. My uh, favorite example, so I spent the last 10 years or so in aviation, and aviation as a domain has changed a lot just over the last 10 years. So, you know, we know commercial airplanes, the Delta, the American Airlines, the KLMs, but then you had the drones and then you had space. So I'll share with you a very simple example of like, no, we don't have all the standards already. At the end of 2018, SpaceX, their launch, it was all over the news. It's the launch where it went up and came back for the first time ever. Amazing. Gives me goosebumps. But this is what happened. SpaceX launches the rocket. FAA here, you know, in the United States, blocks the airspace, 1,300 miles of that airspace for three hours. The flights were delayed and, you know, passengers not happy and flights circling extra burning fuel. So for three hours. But it was all over the news that the rocket was out of the airspace in 90 seconds. And the booster, when it came back, it came back eight minutes later. So imagine that we blocked, we disrupted thousands of flights for three hours, costing so much money, so much more carbon and you name it. Three hours versus, say, eight minutes. And you know why, Daniel, at the time, which is just like two years ago? It was because the space environment, so the SpaceX rocket and whatever environment is around it in terms of systems supporting that launch, did not communicate with the air traffic management system in the U.S. 
totally separate systems. They cannot even communicate something like, here's the location of this rocket. Here's where we project it's going to be. Here's in case it explodes, right? The debris, you know, impact zone or whatever they call it. So that's such a simple example that we've solved since then using standards to exchange, guess what? Location information across systems. So I think we go back to your question. We haven't made all the standards already because we have not solved all the problems. Here in my street last month, we had a construction project going on. And guess what? They bumped somehow when they were digging into a water pipe. We were out of water for you know a day and a half. Do you know why? Because we actually, 2021, we don't have a common underground model standard. It's, it's again, I say it's the simple stuff we haven't solved yet. COVID is a great example. Talk to any of the dashboard providers. And I swear they're like, you know, thousands, if not millions of these things. The main challenge that they encounter is they still spend their time connecting to different data sources and different formats and different APIs and different namings of things and different frequencies of updating. This is, this is why we need standards, right? It's to have this common, like you said, this common understanding so that we can start to do what we really want to do, which is solve these problems. One last um, point here. I'm mentioning the simple problems that we haven't solved, but the flip side, I love the new stuff. And if you look at what we're doing, for example, just in OGC, we're doing indoor mapping for virtual augmented reality. We didn't have that before. We're doing uh, GeoJSON for drones. We didn't have drones before at scale. Uh, artificial intelligence and how do you get you know, analysis-ready data? And I can just go on and on. So the simplest answer to your question is we don't have all the standards because we haven't solved all the problems we have and we don't know all the problems that could be. When I was listening to your talk there, I was thinking about that saying that we often hear in the geospatial community and that is data scientists spend 80% of their time cleaning the data. And it sounds to me, when you talk about standards, it makes me think that if we could agree on this is the way we communicate location and these ideas, you know, geospatial concepts, this is the way we communicate it, then we could get rid of a lot of that data cleaning, that 80% of the time, and just get on with doing the job. Do you think that's a fair sort of way of looking at this? If you look at the literature, when I'm doing my PhD, I used 70%, I think, as, as the example, because it was published in academic articles. And now, 2021, it's about the same amount of time. But I think at the same time, it's like we have elevated the layer upon which we need standards. So before, it was generally about location and the geospatial extent, or how do I query it? But now, if you look at it, it's about... APIs, you know, so that anybody can use them. And the examples that I mentioned is like the requirements that are specific for drones or for the, um, you know, packaging the data in your mobile device or whether it's the virtual augmented reality and the role of geospatial in it. So you see how we are abstracting up and up. And I think that's part of our evolution. Okay, so I'm, I'm convinced we, we need standards. How does a standard come into being and, and how do they evolve? So I love that you said, how do standards come to evolve? Because I think that's exactly the point in time where we're at. And I think we're not just 
changing the standards themselves and evolving them. We're also changing and evolving how we produce the standards. And I think three things have changed to get to there. The perception of geospatial. Finally, people understand what we do at scale. Two, the pace of innovation. I think we can talk forever about how quickly things you know, are happening these days and we have to keep up. And if location is in the middle, then we have to also step up. And then there's the last one. Maybe it's related to the pace. It's this urgency because I, I cannot wait. You cannot wait. Nobody can wait. So there's this urgency for action. So how does a standard come to being in this, I think, a new ecosystem that we live in? I think we have to change and we are changing how we develop standards. And I'm starting to actually say these days, instead of saying traditional standards development, it's more an integrated approach to standards and innovation. So upfront, you're saying, I'm not in a corner in committees writing these long documents. No, it's way more agile. It's really from the ground up. The implementers are with you in the room. I call it the boilerplate is way at the end if it exists at all. Very, very community engaged. If you look at uh, examples like Stack or IMDF, which is the uh, the Apple, uh, I think Apple this week made the news because they have released their indoor mapping format as a community standard within OGC. That's how standards are evolving from the bottom up, from the communities in an agile way, way more engagement and way more, we call it implementer friendly. So when you think about that Apple example, for me, that, that's an example of a really big organization saying, this is the way we're doing it. And because they have so much market penetration, then it, it sounds like it almost automatically becomes a standard. Is there any back and forth be- between the OGC and other sort of partner organizations before Apple does something like that? Or are they just so massive? They take up so much room in the community that they can just do that and say, here, here's the standard. This is what it looks like. Everyone, please use it. That's a, that's a great question, I think. I think even like Apple or Google or Microsoft, even with them, the pace is too fast to be, you know, like to actually do it in their own corner. And in that case, I think it becomes, first of all, from my perspective, it's uh, more and more partnerships that we're having to develop because we, we started this with geospatial everywhere, right? And we honestly cannot keep up. So it's indoor and it's outdoor and we just I just gave you the underground and I also gave you the space and how much can you do in one community, right? So you got to have these, the, you know, the Apple example, the stack example and beyond. And I think it's something that even those large organizations are realizing. How do they say it? They're trying to increase the size of the whole pie to increase their share. I think that's that's a great analogy in this specific case, because what they're trying to do is they're not interested in the format itself. They're interested in the market of all the users that will be using, in this case, their iPhones to navigate malls and airports and warehouses and you name it. And nobody can do it alone. Let's just face it, nobody. So that's part of that dynamics. Yeah, I think that's a really good insight that that no one can do it alone. And I think too, probably the realization that the 
the network effect is just so massive that you, you can't afford to close things off anymore. I mean, the real value is in getting more people on, increasing the size of the network, increasing the, the value that network can generate. I totally agree. And so we take a lot of things for granted, I think, Daniel. But if you speak to some of these large, you know, organizations, Google Maps comes as an example, for instance, to get Google Maps or Apple Maps, right? It really doesn't matter. But to get to Google Maps, they actually in the background, they're going out and, you know, looking at so many maps, right? So many data sources and trying to actually integrate. So even Google needs other people's data, right? And I'm not even getting into the open source street map and all of this, but even the Googles of the world need many, many sources of data that they have to integrate every day, if not several times a day. And I think that's you know the scale that we were talking about earlier and why really nobody can do it because the change is also changing very quickly. I want to just go back to that question before about how do they evolve? Because I think with the, the Apple example that we talked about earlier, that hasn't had time to evolve. It was released, I think you said a, a week ago. Is it likely that that standard will evolve with time or will it become a new standard like whatever Apple indoor you know, 2.0 kind of thing with time? Is that the way standards tend to evolve or does one just die off and a new one takes its place? Some of them die, some of them, you know, evolve. I think it depends, right, on the community. Uh, that's that's the power of the community. And I think that's why Apple has released this as an OGC community standard, because then the community decides. Right now, for instance, there's this format that works for this specific use case. When you release it as a community standard, all of a sudden the possibilities for using that format become a little bit wider. And then there's more uh, opportunities for integrating it with other geospatial standards. And then, like you're saying, Daniel, is it, you know, do we evolve into something or does it become a portfolio within a suite of standards or something else supersedes it altogether? Because that's what the community realizes. You cannot tell. And I think that's why you need this. I repeat it because it's important, the community engagement. So, so let's say I had figured out a really clever way of storing data, much cleverer than any other way of storing data that we've ever seen. What would I have to do to make this a standard way of storing data? Ooh, I like that. Actually, we, we, we talk to a lot of people like this. So first of all, I would hope that we've heard of you, heard of you and your format before it was just like ready because you would be interested in order for it to be the best format ever. You cannot just, you know, close your door and do it, right? You got to test it with somebody. You got to get somebody else's opinion. You got to engage. I go back to engagement, right? So I hope that we're open enough in the standards community that, you know, people with great ideas come to actually explore how the ideas can truly become great and not irrelevant because you could have spent your time and come up with something that cannot be adopted. There's one thing, it's it's the best format. It's another thing, the operational adoption. So say you got that far though, uh, you know, the idea is you do at some point say, you know, I have this great idea. It's my intellectual property and all of this, and I've tested it, but I want to make it a standard because again, growing the pie for everybody. And in this case, because you want to also 
uh, have that international ratification of your work, it's, it's a big deal to be an international standard. Organizations like ISO that we have a relationship with, and they essentially bless some of the standards as ISO standards. These are big deals because governments actually require you know, certain ISO standards. So this is essentially bringing it to the community to say, to ratify it, to include it in a larger suite in the ecosystem of standards, and then to actually have it be able to be a standard. I don't know if I'm articulating it correctly, but to me, the path is there's the experimentation, there's the acknowledgement by the expert community, but there's also the ratification, and then there's the adoption. And that, that's the path. Could you give me an idea of what the time frame might look like? Assuming I had done everything at the start, you had heard of me, I had a well-documented uh, data format. What kind of timeline are we looking at? So the timelines these days are significantly shorter than what they used to be before on everything. I'll give you two examples before answering your question. <laughs> the first one is we're starting like these brand new OGC APIs, for example. And for a brand new standard in the past, it used to take, I don't know, again, I'm coming from aviation. It would take like, you know, five to 10 years. And that was really fast. In this case, we're saying we're going to finish the whole suite in two years, which means they have been tested. They have been prototyped. We've done projects around them. We have multiple um, implementations. We have a compliance test, you know, and we have the documentation ready. Two years for a suite of standard. That's definitely unheard of. And this is a brand new standard. Now, in the case of a community standard, then it depends on the maturity of that community standard. So sometimes uh, you come in, it just makes perfect sense. People, you know, it feels like a clear, clear gap that the community has been hungry for, if that makes sense. And then, my God, the path would be like really zooming in because you don't have to convince anybody. I go back to community, right? You don't have to convince anybody. So you can go in and do it within, you know, six to nine months and it would be out there. You have to prove that there are, you know, two, three implementations out there, that it actually works. Nobody objected to it. Voila. In some cases, maybe you picked some obscure thing <laughs> that you want to standardize. And I'm laughing because, you know, Obscure doesn't mean irrelevant at all. Sometimes the heavy lifting is not appreciated. But uh, say you brought in something where you're either replacing, for example, an existing piece of that standards puzzle, or it's just a difficult concept that you have to convince the community. So you have this, you know, this additional step. As we know, I mean, there's the technical development, but the um, human part, convincing other people, awareness, showing results or showing examples, that may take longer. I have to say, I really like the idea that the standard almost goes on trial before you know, it gets blessed, I think was the word that you used before. I think it's really, it's a great idea. And it sounds like there's a, a lot of almost scientific rigor around this, which again, is a really great idea. If we're going to be introducing new ways of communicating, that's a good idea to have tested them and made sure that they actually work. So I appreciate that you, that you do that. That's great. In terms of new standards, 
How does the concept of geospatial 2.0 play into this? Because for me anyway, this concept is all about jumping over the middleman. So instead of having analysis in the middle, we have machines com communicating with machines. Are we seeing more standards being evolved around the APIs and machine-to-machine -machine communication? Absolutely, because it's the only way, right? It's the only way we can handle the deluge of information and of data that's coming at us. Uh, we got to automate things. The various standards that we're developing, it's, it's mostly driven by trying to automate things. I mean, analytics-ready data, this concept for, you know, Earth observation data, that's exactly because you, you, need, you need to abstract and we cannot abstract without some automation in there. I hope I'm answering the question, but it's really a tough one. <laughs> when we talk about standards, are we talking about different ways of describing data? Is it different ways of, of storing data? Is it a, a different description of geometries? Is it any one of those things or is it all of those things? So I think it's all of those things and more. That's the, the fun part of it, because it's not just how do we describe the location. I'll tell you, for instance, when we talk about these APIs, because they're so fresh in everybody's mind. So first of all, we're calling them the building blocks for location. So not, not geospatial. If you notice, you mentioned geospatial 2.0, right? So when we say the APIs for, you know, as building blocks for location, so it's, it's how do we you know, share the maps, the tiles, how do we stream the 3D data? These are the geospatial standards. How do you annotate your AI ML data sets, your training data sets, so that other scientists can use them? These are geospatial standards. Sensor things is another example for the Internet of Things. So how do you interact with these, I would call them sensor things, to get the information that you need when you need them. These are also geospatial standards. Uh, when we talk about calling it new space, right? The whole dynamics of so many people launching, getting data down. How do you figure out what data do you use and for what purpose? These are geospatial you know, data quality, metadata standards. When you start thinking about it, that's why I think it's so exciting and so overwhelming at the same time. Speaking of new space, you have these companies that are now launching for collecting RF data from space. So again, how do I incorporate or integrate RF data with my other data? This is also a geospatial standard. That's why when I mentioned earlier, we're sort of like starting to abstract. It's not just, you know, where something is, but when the where is integrated into everything and part of the analytics, the questions that we're asking and then the standards that we're needing around them have also abstracted to the point that, you know, that's why we don't have everything done already because we're going, we're really going up and wide. Do you have the feeling that there's just as much work going on in terms of proprietary standards as there is with, with open standards? I think there's a lot of work going on. I don't know about proprietary standards, right? I mean, what because I live in the open world, so it's um, there are the de facto standards like the technologies or the methodologies that just uh, or the some of the open source code that's you know bundled and reused and it becomes de facto. 
But I, what I'm also also seeing, this is the optimist in me, but also this is what literally I, you know, I live every day, is there's an increased desire for collaboration because at the end of the day, none of us want to spend our time on this on this, I'm pointing now my finger on this stuff, right? We want to be higher up the value chain. That's where the return is. That's where the business opportunity is. This is where, you know, every business that sets up, it's not for, ooh, how can I bundle the, um, the 3D information? No, they want to get a contract with a gaming company, right? And I think from there, I would say what I'm seeing is actually more collaboration around these common concepts so that they can build their businesses on them and they can build their or or make their innovations right realities i think you feel the same way about geospatial standards as the way i feel about geospatial projections i really just want to have it done you know i want to have in my perfect world i'd have one projection everything would arrive in that projection and then i could not worry about it. i could move on like what we we're talking about with the the data scientists and the effort that goes into cleaning data. And I think that's what you were talking about in terms of geospatial standards. Let's figure out how to do this in a easily understandable or commonly under, understood method and move on, move up the value chain. I like that analogy. And, and I think the fun is because when you're doing these things, you cannot do a new projection or a new standard without understanding the use cases, right? But because the use cases are everywhere and in everything, it's becoming so exciting to even think about the basics, but also it's making the basics more difficult to get there because you have now 10, if not 100 of use cases that you have to cater to in sort of a single concept. And I think that's why, you know, some of us love this so much because you get you get exposed to all these domains. I've actually I was thinking earlier, geospatial is a great career for anybody who doesn't want to commit to any any domain because you will be in everything. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a ton of opportunity for sure. And I, I like what you said. I think we were heading towards that idea of specialization. You know, because there's so many different domains and each domain has their own sort of specific needs. So we see specialization in terms of the people and that are working in those domains, the tools that they're using, possibly even the data standards that they're using. And I, I guess that must at some stage lead to an explosion in data standards. So I guess my next question here is, it's one thing to create a standard, but does that automatically mean that it will be adopted? Or do you have to do some sort of marketing around that standard? Oh, that's an easy question. Absolutely not. If you just, it's not like you build it, they will come. Mm, 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 mm. It does not work like this. A couple of things to say here. I think this is why, I know I sound like a broken record, but it's important. It's the community part. So a standard is as useful and as impactful as the number of people and organizations who were involved in, in creating it. It cannot be created in a vacuum. And that's the best way to ensure its adoption, right? So you have the right people on the table. The second part is what you mentioned about, you know, the testing and the prototyping. Again, the standard won't be adopted or useful to anybody if it's this theoretical thing, 
And that's why you have to, you know, NLGC, for example, we have a whole program called the Innovation Program that does exactly that. Let's test this and these use cases with these people, with these different people. Let's try to connect these systems. So you test it before it even becomes, becomes a standard. And I think that's part of, you know, what we were discussing earlier, the evolution, right, of standards. Now, to your earlier point, which is the explosion per domain, 100% against the exciting times we live in and challenging times. A couple of examples come to mind. Defense and intelligence, right? It's a whole community that is also based on geospatial. And so right now, it, it goes back to this abstraction that I was talking about. So now you have the basics, standards, then you get this community, in this case, defense and intelligence, that's coming together and figuring out the suite of standards, of geospatial standards, if they need to profile them, if they need to extend them, or how do they constrain them to actually work together so that it works within that community. And we're seeing that in, in, in different communities, agriculture, same thing. I mean, they have sensors in there and they have earth observation, but their community requirements are different. So you're seeing that community come together and they're trying to figure out, you know, what is the community best practices around geospatial standards and what are their unique requirements? And I can go on, right? Aviation is the same thing and, and so on. And I think that's really, that's the next thing. That's why we go back Partnerships are important because you cannot have one organization that's an expert in all these domains, right? You got to have the right partnerships. And uh, at the same time, it goes back to this essence of the community takes what it needs and shapes it the way it needs so that it gets what it needs out of it. Let's say I could wave my magic wand here and I could create all the standards that we needed. Done. There was no more problems to be solved in terms of geospatial standards. What do you think that the next sort of hurdle would be for the geospatial community in terms of using data, solving problems? Uh, I hate that this question is actually so easy because if you really think about it, Daniel, the, the main hurdle is people and uh, policies, like data sharing policies, the not invented here, right, syndrome. It's the lack of data sharing or collaboration. You know, we were talking earlier about the, um, the outcome of a standard, but maybe the standard is not it. It's actually the process to get a standard is as important because you get the right people to talk to each other and that's the lasting impact that you have. So you can wave your wand and we can have, just like technology, you can have the best thing in the world, but at the end of the day, somebody has to make a decision, somebody has to invest in actually integrating it into their system or their solution. Somebody has to change the way they do things, to collaborate with different people, sometimes change the people that you work with, right? Because the technology, you know, automation in this case, you know, is, is um, substituting for people. So I would say if we look at our job as, uh, you know, standards development, this is why I'm like trying not to say traditional standards development, but if we're really looking at this as the standards is the outcome of this integrated approach with the community, then the process is as important, if not more important. And actually, what do they say? The journey, the journey is more important than the destination. 
maybe that is true here. I might be in danger of, of repeating myself here, but I'm, I'm going to try with this question anyway. And so oftentimes when I talk to people that, and they're working in the geospatial industry, we're, we're deep into the technology. And if I ask them, what's the problem here? Is it a technological problem or is this a cultural, a social problem? And oftentimes they'll answer, it's a tech problem. And tech problems have tech solutions. Is that the same thing that we're, that we're talking about here? In terms of creating standards, are we, are we mostly fighting against technology problems or are we fighting against social problems? You said the right word, I think, the cultural problems. Um, so I will give you the COVID example. And I was on a, on a panel uh, in the midst of uh, COVID uh, with New York State. And they were, it was like the height of COVID in New York. And they weren't doing well. And they had the state and the counties. And every county had a GIS department. And the state had a GIS department. And we start talking and it ends up being, no, they all have the data. So it's not a data problem. They all have the technologies as well. They're just not sharing the information across each other. So this is a cultural thing. Now, the cultural thing is definitely enabled by technology. It's not in a vacuum. And in that case, so my message to them was, we know how to do this. Like we know we have standards already and we have products on the market that implement those standards that allow you to share this information without calling each other or relying on, you know, files and so on. And that's your cultural problem. The technology is there. The standards are there. It's just they have departments that are, have been set up in a sort of legacy, maybe organizational structure. And these changes that we're all living are forcing all of us to have to adapt. And in that case, we were talking about whether it makes any sense to have a GIS department. Like, what is the GIS department doing if it's not able to connect to the COVID data to give the governor what they need? So I'm answering your question in a very weird way, but it's, it's a combination. We, somebody has to make the decision, right, to adopt the right technology to solve their problem. And they have to be open to changing the way they do things. And that's the cultural part. And I think that's why you have to have all of them. It's not technology. It's not standards. It's not just the private industry. It's not just, uh, you know, lack of innovation. It's not the government. It's all of them. Nadine, I'm really grateful that you took the time to talk with me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Is there anywhere that we can point the listeners towards if, they, if they're interested in this, if they want to find out more? Absolutely. I had a great time as well. Uh, I enjoyed your questions. I enjoyed your articulation of the, uh, the synthesis. So I really appreciate that. I've been taking my own notes. Absolutely. For the listeners, if they're interested, the uh, OGC website, so ogc.org is the best way. And I would encourage... Um, actually signing up to the OGC newsletter because it does abstract some of the concepts that we're talking about here, the impacts, the new ways we're doing things, and this growing community that I was talking about. Thanks again, Nadine. I will include links to those in the show notes. Yeah, you're an absolute rock star. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Daniel. You're doing a great job here. Appreciate it. And thank you for anybody who was listening. 
So I really hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, one of the amazing things about being a podcast host is you get to spend a significant amount of time with some really, really amazing people. And Nadine was both charming and brilliant. And I hope that I get to meet her in person one day. So one of the things that really stuck out for me during this conversation was the importance of having a common language and a language that we agree on. This is the way we describe data. This is the way we talk about location. Um, so I think these standards in themselves are not that exciting, but what they enable is really exciting because if we can agree that the network effect is real, if we can agree that collaboration is a good thing, if we can agree that all of us are better than any one of us, then we need to have some kind of way of enabling communication between us to happen and of course this is where geospatial standards come into play. I think it's also equally important to highlight that just because we have standards and we have tools that understand and can speak those standards that that's not the, the end of the road here. In that example that Nadine gave in New York in the middle of this pandemic we needed more than ever to be able to communicate. It wasn't the standards that let us down. It wasn't the tools that got in the way. It was the people. It was the policies. So what good is it building an organization based on open standards and sharing and collaboration if the people aren't willing to participate? That's it for me. That's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. It's much appreciated. I'm trying to grow the podcast. I'm trying to spread the word. I'm trying to reach more people. If you would like to help, I would really appreciate it if you would tell someone about the podcast. Share the podcast with someone. Again, not with everyone, someone. Find someone you think might enjoy it, might benefit from it, might find it engaging and share it with them. I, I would really appreciate it. As always, you're more than welcome to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Twitter. Just search for Mapscaping. You can find me on LinkedIn. Search for Mapscaping, host of Mapscaping Podcast. I'm hiding in plain sight. Okay, that's it from me. We'll talk again next week. Bye.